My name is Mark Duncan. I'm the pastor for students and outreach here. I'd love to warmly welcome you here today, especially if it's your first time. I would like to make a note uh, that the construction changes around the building are not permanent, okay? So uh, if you were wondering if the duct tape on the carpet in the hallway was a permanent feature, it is not, okay? Uh, we, we are doing some, uh, some work around here. You may have noticed over the last few weeks uh, in restoring some of the things and being good stewards of this place that God has given to us uh, by this weekend when we come together. Uh, we anticipate all of that being done and that be yet another reason to celebrate God's goodness in this season. And so bear with the dust and the duct tape. It's going to look amazing, all right? Hey, if it's your first time joining us or if you've been here over the last few weeks, we have been in a series since the beginning of the year uh, that we've titled Different. And really what we're getting at, it's in the book of First Peter, what we're getting at in that is what does it look like to live faithfully in a world that is not my home? To live faithfully in a world that is not my home. And if you remember back to the first chapter when this series was introduced, Pastor Johnny laid out that the opening greeting for the letter, which Peter was addressing the church, he called them a title. He called them chosen exiles. Remember that? We talk about exiles. I've got, actually got a definition for what that means so that we're on the same page. An exile, are the, those are people who are moving through a land that is not their home. Right? And in effect, a traveler. A traveler that is in a foreign country for a season, not per- putting down any permanent roots, not planning to stay forever, but in a place that is foreign to me, but I'm here for now. And that's what we're talking about when we're getting into this idea of being a spiritual exile, in effect, in a world that is not our home. And so we've gone through different aspects of what that looks like. And this morning, we're going to dive in again. Some of this will be pounding some of the same things that we've heard over and over again that we need to hear again. That's in reality. And some of these things are new ways that we can respond to that. So this morning, I've entitled this sermon the way of the exile. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 today. We're going to start reading in verse 12, and you can go ahead and be looking for that. While you're doing that, I'll let you know there's one thing, there's one thing I want you to walk away with today, to press into your heart and into your spirit is this. An exile is not taken by surprise when their way of life looks different than the world that is not their home. I want to emphasize that part about not taken by surprise. Let me ask you this, take a little survey. Who here in this room, and if you're online, you can respond as well, though I'm not going to be able to see your response, so you're on your own there. Who here in this room would say you love surprises? Raise your hand, like you love a good surprise, all right? Fair amount of hands. How many of you would be honest and say, well, it sort of depends on what the surprise is? Yes, okay, there's more hands. Suddenly went up, right? Like we we can recognize, like depending on what the surprise is actually changes the nature of the surprise. I was thinking about those commercials that come out at Christmas time uh, where the couple is sitting in the living room by their tree and he hands her a box and she opens it up and there's a set of car keys in there, right? And she's like, oh! Right? She takes the keys and runs to the front door, opens the door, and there's a Lexus, one of those amazing big red bows, which I don't even know how they make those. It's kind of a niche, a niche item. But she's like, oh, you shouldn't have, right? 
I've never had that surprise happen to me. But I imagine that would be a great surprise, right? To get a new car out of nowhere. Sure, we can agree on that. I would say getting a puppy, giving a puppy to your daughter on her birthday is a great surprise. I actually have a video of one such surprise, and it is a tearjerker every time I watch it. It's a special, special surprise. And then there are people that give cats as surprises. <laughs> That's not a good surprise. We can, we can be honest and agree. You can fight me later on that, okay? But that is not, that's not a great surprise, right? We can agree. Those are surprises that we have no context for expecting. I would say there's maybe a different kind of surprise. Well, I'm going I'm to make up a term here. Known surprises. You're like, wait, that sounds like a contradiction. Like, known surprises. These are things that we know can happen, but we aren't completely ready for it. I'll give you a perfect example that every licensed driver, at least in the state of North Carolina, can understand. You're required by law to carry auto insurance on your vehicles when you go out to drive, correct? And the reason that you have that is so that in the event of an accident, there is coverage, financial coverage for you, for your vehicle, for the other, any other person that may be involved in the accident to take care of the problem. All of us know that we need that. All of us are forced to pay the monthly premiums for the insurance. We carry the little card in our dashboard to be ready at all times. But nobody, nobody is sitting on the side of the road after a fender, fender bitter saying, yay, I get to cash in on that insurance policy. I've been waiting for this day. Nobody is looking forward to that. Or those calls where you get a call from your wife when you're at work and she's like, uh, honey, um, first off, I'm okay. You're like, okay, I know where this is going, <laughs> right? There's been an accident, right? Like, okay. Nobody's ex excited about that. Do I know it can happen? Yes. But I'm not ready for it when it does. I'm not ready for it. This is another one. First baby. Everyone feels the need to give you parenting advice. That's how you perceive it, right? When you're pregnant, you're like, oh. So, and they make jokes like this. So, are you ready to not sleep for the first few months after the baby's born? And you're like, um, I've read a lot of information. Uh, I've built a sleep schedule. I actually have a whole calendar dedicated to how this is going to work and the feeding times. I've got it all mapped out. I think it's going to be okay. And then the baby is born. And you are surprised that you didn't know a human being could exist on so little sleep. Second and only by the surprise, the first night that you sleep all the way through the night again, and you're like, wow, I didn't know I could feel so good, right? It's a surprise. Did you, you knew about it, but you didn't expect it, right? I think that the captain of the ever-given ship in the Suez Canal this week was well aware of the hazards of piloting a large tanker vessel through a very Narrow little strip. However, I guarantee that morning as he got on board, did he not consider that that might happen today, that he would cause the world's biggest and most costly traffic jam that has ever happened, right? He knew about it. He knew it could happen, but it was a surprise. Just because you and I know something can happen doesn't mean that we expect it when it does. So what we're going to look at today is actually a common theme throughout the book of 1 Peter. He is 
pounding this nail over and over again for a reason. It has to deal with suffering. Suffering. And I just want to distinguish, before we jump into that, there's three kinds, really three kinds of suffering that we can experience. There's suffering that I experience because of my own sinful choices. Like I step away from God, and I step away from his blessing, and I experience pain, I experience sorrow, I experience consequence from that, right? That's a, that's a, that's a suffering that I have initiated. Do we agree on that one? Then there's suffering from being a part of a broken world system, a world that's made of people like me that follow sin and follow after that sin nature and create brokenness in ourselves, in other people, and in the systems that we make in the world. Like, that's a reality. I experience suffering from that. But today, I want to look at a unique suffering. And, and Peter's highlighting here in this passage a unique suffering that is because, a suffering that I experience because I am trying to honor Christ as holy. I am trying to, to, to represent his name in the world. I'm trying to follow what God has told me to do. This is a unique kind, a kind that is reserved for the people of God. And just because we've read it, just because we've heard verses about suffering, even as we've gone through 1 Peter already, you're like, yes, I get it. Why do we keep having to talk about suffering because we often, while we know it can happen, we don't expect it when it arrives. And so it takes us completely, completely off guard. So I want to make a deal with you before we jump in the passage today. Because I want to answer the question of your heart that's already creeping in right now. I can already hear it. The question or the statement is, uh, Pastor Mark, you don't understand the particular kind of suffering that I've gone through. So therefore, I don't need to listen to what God has to say. Let me, let me push back on you. I'm going to make a promise to you, all right? I'm not going to presume upon the unique suffering you have experienced and the weight of that. I'll ask you not to do the same towards me. How about that, right? We'll make a deal that we'll let God do the talking this morning about suffering, okay? Uh, because each of us have had it in some way. We have experienced this, all right? It's, it's not unique to that. So 1 Peter chapter 4 I'm going to give you today five ways the suffering of exiles changes the priorities of their life. Five ways that this unique suffering, this suffering as I try to follow Jesus, as I try to represent him in this world, five ways that changes our priorities. All right, so chapter 4, verse number 12, read it with me. Beloved, do not be surprised, you should underline that that phrase right there. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is the first way, first priority change in our lives. And exile's faith is forged through fiery trials. Fiery trial. Now you've heard the word trial already used in the book. This is the first time that Peter has attached fiery on it. And while the early Christians, certainly as we've already shared in this series, faced a very real threat of some fiery encounters because of what they stood up for, we can all agree that a fiery trial implies a significant pain, does it not? So what it's saying here is that exile's fate is forged through this fiery trial. Don't be surprised at it when it comes upon you. It's to test you. 
right? It's, it's supposed to, it's going to happen. It's going to refine you. It's going to change you. It's going to make you strong in the process. But note, it's not something strange that's happening. This is not a, an oddball thing like, oh, man, I've walked into some suffering. How did that happen? This is a reality. Something strange isn't happening. This is the normal way of living when Jesus is first in my life. not an accident. God didn't turn away for a second like, oh, what happened? What did I miss? How could I let someone like that fall into this? Like, this is part of the refining process to train me, to shape me, to make me something new. I, this illustration of, of this past Christmas, one of my children asked for a gift. It's one of those gifts you know that when they ask you that there's no way they're going to enjoy it. Like, it's like, all right, you're not, like, I know you think this is going to be great, but I also know how this works in reality, and it's, you're not going to like it. And so she asked for a rock tumbler. Now, if you're familiar with what those are, it's basically like a barrel that you put rocks, like unfinished, rough-looking rocks, and you throw some grit in there, and you throw some water in there, and you put the barrel on this little thing that spins around, and the barrel is basically rolling around in your house for a month, okay? I had to put mine in the garage, in a box, so that I didn't hear it in my house, all right? So my daughter's convinced this rock tumbler is going to be amazing. And I'm like, you do realize, like, you don't just throw the rocks in there, wait five minutes and come back and they're all of a sudden shiny. I've got rubies and emeralds. Like, it's going to take some time, you know? Week one, you got to add in this kind of grit. Week two, you got to pour everything out, wash it off, add some stronger grit in there, put more water in, turn it back on again. By week two and a half, we had abandoned the project. There's actually a half-finished tumbler of rocks in my garage at this moment. Who knows what will happen to them, okay? Like, but that, I'm sharing that for a reason. Like that, that process of that is slow. The grit, what is it effectively doing in the water? It's really ripping off. It's ripping off the surface of the rock. And it's exposing what is underneath. You can't bring out what is underneath unless it goes through the process of pulling away the outside. I think about that in terms of us, spiritually. We pray, God, have your will in my life. God, use me. God, grow me. The process that, that happens is going to come through the grit and the grind and time. Until it comes out on the other side. The fiery trial, it's a painful thing. So why are we surprised then by our suffering? Let me give you just a quick few ways why we're surprised by it. We're surprised when it becomes obvious that God's plan is not to spare me from suffering. As if God's greatest priority for my life is to be comfortable. We don't have to think about our comfort. Like, I guarantee some of you are in here today, and as soon as you came in, you're like, it's hot. It's hot in here, all right? Three weeks ago, you're like, it's cold in here. All right, you guys try to heat a seven-year-old building and see if you can figure it out, all right? It's a, it's a guessing game. It's a guessing game. We don't have to think about our comforts. We're intimately aware of that. And so because it's always on our mind, we presume that that must be God's plan for me is to make me comfortable. I think a little sidetracked on our theology. God's plan for me is to make me holy, to refine me, to bring out that, that inner peace that comes through the trial, to, 
to make me like Jesus. That's God's plan. It's great if I'm comfortable along the way. But what Peter's telling me is like, that ain't it. That's not the way. That's not the way of the exile. We also are surprised, I think, by the intensity of the pain. This is where maybe it gets a little personal for you. I think there, there were seasons in my life where, you know, I, I have a head knowledge of this passage. Maybe like you as well, right? Like, I understand this is a reality. And, and certain things come, come into my life that are difficult, and I'm like, bring it on. I could take more. Okay? That's all you got? God, give me some more. I can take it. And then there are other times where your legs are completely swept out from under you. And you're laying on the floor in your living room, looking up at the ceiling fan. And you're like, God, this hurts a lot. What are you doing? Why would you do this to me? I'm listening to you. I'm trying to obey you. I'm trying to respond to you. I'm trying to do what you want me to do. And it's ripping me apart. Have you felt like that before? You felt that shock, the surprise, like, man, I thought I had walked through the fire here. I didn't know nothing. Let me ask you something. Do you believe that the God that refines you maybe in this season can refine you in a new season? Even if it feels like I'm on my back. I don't know how I'm going to stand. I don't see the outcome of this, and honestly, none of it looks good. But that's what's normal for an exile. That's what's normal for an exile. We shouldn't be surprised, but it, it goes on to say, we don't have to stop at that. We don't stop at the suffering. That's the best part of this message today. We don't stop. We don't leave it in that place. Let's go on, verse 13. He says, Instead of being surprised, but rejoice. Rejoice insofar you are sharing Christ's sufferings that you, may be re- that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Do you know what that promise is, to, what I read that promise as? What that promise is telling me is in the middle, in the middle of that suffering, in the middle of that fiery trial, that God's spirit is right there present with me. And recently with our students, we looked at another circumstance of a fiery trial uh, in, in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may remember that from Sunday school, from kids' churches, honestly been almost relegated to the, the realm of kids' stories. It is not a story. It's real people in a real time faced with a real situation where they had the choice to bow down to what the world says was normal or to stand and honor God. And the consequence was what? Being put in the fiery furnace. They would not bow down to what culture said. They would not bow down to the idol. And they were thrown into the midst of that fire. And then in the middle of that fire, the fire that should have incinerated them as soon as they fell in, 
shock from the king as he stands up and looks and says, wait a second, how many people did we throw in the fire? And he said three. He's like, no, I see four of them, and they're walking around, and one of them looks like the son of God. And he's like, get him out of here. And they come out, and he's like, there's no God that saves in this way. Who knew who was in the middle of that furnace with them? That was Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, came into that place of intense trial, intense, fiery trial. He unbound their arms, untied their legs, and they're walking around, giving high fives, giving hugs, And I just think like, just in that same way, those moments where I'm on my back, those moments when I don't know what to do, that he's right there. I'm not letting you walk through this without a purpose. My plans for you are good. I'm refining you in this. I'm not willing to send you into something that I'm not willing to go with you into it. And he's right there with me. That's what it means when it says, his spirit rests upon you. But not only that, another reason I have to rejoice is that I am literally walking the path that my Savior walked. Think about Jesus' public ministry. All of three years, sure, there was a short season on the front half of that where everyone was like, yes, this guy's amazing. Crowds forming everywhere. Some coming for the miracles and free food, right? Everyone is saying, this guy is saying amazing things. We should listen to him. And then all of a sudden, he starts saying things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And they're like, hold on a second. You can't say that. You can't make that kind of claim. That's blasphemy. You're not God. So began the path. They left from Gethsemane to before the high priest and the accusations and the false testimony and the beatings and the whippings and the crown of thorns and the nails on the cross and death. Our Savior's path to obeying God costs him everything. Well, I don't think this kind of rejoicing is the kind that I'm like, yay, I get to suffer. It's the kind of rejoicing that happens through tears on your knees. Like, it hurts, it hurts. But I serve a God that's not willing to allow me to experience this, experience something that his own son didn't already experience ahead of me. And through my communion with him and walking in this season, I will know him better. I will depend on him more deeply. I will experience his love in a way I have not experienced before. I will have a faith that is untouchable. As I'm walking the path of the cross, that joy, an exile's joy is found in that shared suffering. This is the next one going forward. An exile's loyalties 
are revealed in a personal holiness. Let's move on to verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Something I need to highlight for you here. This is one of the earliest uses of the word Christian in the Bible. It was a fairly new term when Peter's writing this letter. It actually happened at Antioch first. This was not a term like we do when we're filling out like a, a survey and they ask you like, what religion are you? Oh, Christian, yay. Check the box. Christian was a derogatory term. Right? The culture around them was like, oh, that's that weird cult, isn't it? Like, don't they, what, they call themselves the, the way or something like that? Yeah, they, oh yeah, they believe in that Jesus guy. Didn't we kill him? Yeah. All right, yeah, you know what you guys are? You're those little Christs. Yeah, little Christs, Christians. That's who you are. Ha. Like, it's a derogatory term. Hey, don't, hey, don't do business with him. Right, he's, he's one of those weirdos. It's amazing that he says, anyone who suffers in that name, let him not be ashamed. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. See, he paints an amazing contrast in those two verses. He's like, yeah, you can suffer. Some of the things in verse 15, you can suffer for things like murder, being a murderer, suffer for being a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. I think evildoer is sort of like a blanket term, right? You can suffer that way. That's not what God has for you. That's not what we're talking about. Right? Give them no reason to point a finger at you other than the fact that you are following Jesus. Let no accusation be brought to your name other than the fact that he's, he or she is just too dedicated. There's too dedicated to Jesus. And that's what I mean when I'm talking about a personal holiness. I can't make myself holy. We can agree to that, right? When God looks at me because of Jesus, he sees Jesus' holiness upon me, his righteousness in my place. All right, but when I'm talking about a personal holiness, that's a commitment as I'm in relationship with Christ, as I'm walking the path of the cross alongside of him, that I want my life to represent the things that he has called me to do. And in obedience to him, there are some things I will not do. There are some lines I will not cross. There are some barriers I will not go beyond because I am following Jesus and I'm representing him not with shame. I'm not ashamed to say I'm a Christian. Right? That doesn't bring shame. Obedience to God never brings shame. Sin brings shame. He's calling us to glorify God in that name. What he is calling us to do is like even in the midst of suffering, when I am angry, when I am hurting, and that's maybe even more of a poignant time to be aware of this. Right? I, I, it brings to mind, you know, James 1.18, being slow to speak, slow to angry, you know, and, and, uh, and quick to hear, right? Like in those moments where I'm tense and I'm under the, I'm under the pressure of it, I want to lash out. I want to justify, I've got to do something for me. Obviously, God has gone to sleep at the wheel, so I've got to look out for myself. Don't give in to that. Take that name. Take it boldly. Walk the path of the cross with me. Live a life that honors what Christ did and represent that to the world no matter what they say. They're not going to agree 
that God's way is best if they're not following Jesus. That's the, that's the surprise piece we have to come, come to reality with. I'm not going to get a large crowd supporting me following Jesus. Those who carry that name willingly choose to carry the cross. One of my favorite passages in Matthew 16, Jesus talks to his disciples. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. When I'm following Christ and trying to obedient to what he is saying, I'm not losing my life because all of a sudden I have these harsh rules that I have to follow that no one else is doing. I'm stepping out of a dead life and into the new one. And Jesus is right there with me. And if no one else will go, he's there. And I pick up my cross, an instrument of death to the old me, and I walk with him. Take me where you want to go. Make me what you want to make me. I'm all in. I'm daily denying myself. And I'm taking that path. This is the next one. An exile's mission is emboldened by a gospel maturity. By a gospel maturity. Look at verse 17. If it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? I want to explain what he is saying there. He's not implying uh, that we are scarcely saved by the skin of our teeth. By the things that we do. That is not what he's saying at all. What he's trying to say, if, if the righteous, people that are trying to follow that path and trying to be obedient to God and walk in the path that he has set for him as modeled by Christ, as they're doing that, and it hurts. And what appears on the outside, outside for things to be stripped away from them and to walk through maybe many sorrows alongside of Jesus. If that's the reality for those of us that have the hope of the gospel, that this is a temporary thing, that this is a refining thing, that there's a hope beyond this and future glory when I stand before Jesus complete, what he's saying is that if that's our reality and we come out of that even with the scars and the pain, how much worse for someone that does not know a relationship with Jesus Christ? then all they have to live for is this life. And so when suffering comes into their life, it's game over. I've blown it. I blew my chance. I thought I was going to have this. I thought I was going to be this. I thought I could find happiness in her. And it's all gone. What, left, what do I have left? See, while we would not like to admit it, we walk through seasons of trying to honor Christ and experiencing pushback, whether that's at work, not getting the promotions because my boss knows I'm a Christian. It's obviously some favoritism. Whether that's in my marriage when my spouse thinks that I'm crazy for going to church. Why are you reading your Bible for? You're one of those fanatics. 
each time that I have the opportunity to be tested. And I, I pick up that cross again, and I walk in it, in his presence, and he's changing me. Every time I do that, I am retraining my mind over and over again in the message of the gospel, that my hope was not going to be found in me having it together, and me being good enough, and me accomplishing goals. It's going to happen because of what God did in sending Jesus one time for all. My hope is in that, and that can never be taken away from me. I'm training myself in the gospel every day, not just that first time when I understood and I prayed a prayer, but every single day when that is put to the test and the enemy would like to put lies in my ears and say, look, God has abandoned you. No. I stand here because of Jesus. And I'm holding on to that promise. What an amazing blessing for us to have that. But friends, What an amazing responsibility to be the stewards of that message. I love that God's word refers to us as jars of clay. (laughs) It's a very fragile thing, a jar of clay, containing the hope of the world in Jesus Christ, that gospel message. The strength does not come from the jar, but from what is inside. When I'm going through these trials and I'm experiencing suffering, while it doesn't feel great in the moment, God is faithful to take that and use that as he's writing my story to give me opportunity to share the gospel with someone else and to speak of his faithfulness to the next generation and to pass that forward. That's what it means to be on mission. That's why it gives an, it gives an urgency to the mission. It's like if I'm experiencing the brokenness of this world, and I know Jesus, how much more so is my friend, my neighbor, my spouse? I don't have time to sit around on this. This is the last one this morning. An exile's confidence is secure in the will of a faithful God. Verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now I want to explain something. You can get caught up sometimes in some of the language of that. All right, you need to understand like when God created the world and he put Adam and Eve in that garden, he did not want them to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He wanted them to be with him in that place and to enjoy him. But because of sin, they took part in it. They broke the law of God. Sin entered into the world, and every single one of us since then has made the same choice. So brokenness is in the world. All right, so what this is not saying, this is not saying that God is doing harm towards you. Like he's sitting up in heaven has some sort of sick sense of fun, like, ooh, let's see if I can turn up the heat on him. See what he does. What this means is, is God and his sovereignty, because he's refining me, because he's making me new, because he knows what I can take. He allows the brokenness of this world to touch me in a way that doesn't have a destructive effect, but that refining effect to make me dependent upon him. He's a redeemer. He takes what was meant for evil 
and he turns it into good things. What Satan meant for evil, God responded with in Genesis chapter 3. He said, no, there will come a day. There will come a day when the offspring of this one will come, and he will crush the head of sin and death forever. It is over. And then Jesus said the words. He said the words on the cross. He said, it is finished. And we're going to celebrate that again in a big way this weekend. As an exile, as one who is entrusting, entrusting myself, to, my soul to a faithful creator, I need to understand that while it is not God's will to be a bully to me and to make me feel pain and to harm me, James 1 tells us God cannot sin. He's not tempt people with sin. That's true. But he will, in his love, allow the brokenness that was meant to harm me to refine me. Because he's a faithful creator. That's the key word in that voice. He's faithful. But one thing I need to remember is God will not allow anything to happen to me that's greater than he allowed his own son to experience. And we need to know that. This is from Isaiah 53, and I'm wrapping up. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. That was Jesus. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. I think we forget that God is a father. And Jesus was his only son. The greatest work of history, the greatest redeeming thing that God did was to put his own son in the place of suffering, the breaking and the pressing. That was the only way that my victory could be secured. So friends, why would I be surprised? Why would I be surprised if God had, to Jesus, had Jesus to walk through that path, why would I be surprised that he would invite me into that same? Knowing that it's not gonna leave me broken on the side of the road, stripping off those layers, stripping off those layers, and it's making something beautiful, and it's making something new, and it's not about my glory, it's not about how, how strong I was to endure such difficult things, it's, it's God be the glory. I, I, I'm only here because of your faithfulness. Use me. Take me. I'll walk with you wherever you lead. Are you ready this morning? And often we're surprised because often we, we don't think ahead and, and teach our hearts and prepare before something comes into our life. But remember, an exile is not taken by surprise when their way of life looks different than the world that is not their home. As Gray already said, this is Palm Sunday. I don't believe for a minute that those people that were waving the palm branches and throwing down their cloaks had any idea that that message of save now was gonna come through a road of suffering and pain and death. they did I believe they'd be celebrating for a very different reason wouldn't you 
So let me ask you this as we close. What's, what has caught you by surprise in this season when it comes to the specifics of the tension or the temperature of your trial that you're in maybe at this moment, the suffering you're experiencing in this season? Like what, what caught you by surprise? Don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity to tell a story that is greater than yourself, that God is writing as you're in the middle of this right now. We need to pray this way. We need to train our minds this way. We need to live this way. Pray with me. God, thank you for being a faithful creator. Thank you that you take things that were meant for evil and you turn them into good things, new things. I thank you for the opportunities that you give us, God, to have our faith refined and strengthened as we take one step at a time down the road of the cross. Comfort us with your presence as we are, try to be obedient. God, give us a sense of the urgency of the mission before us. And God, be glorified as we are poured out. In Jesus' name I pray.